Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing good? Who's not doing good? I don't say that rhetorically. I'm, is there anybody here who's not doing good? Yeah? Um... So I'm guessing if you said you're not doing good, it's probably there's things going on around you, right, that you're dealing with and maybe some pressures or some decisions you're facing or things, disappointments in life or things that have happened and and maybe you even look at them and you don't understand how it could ever be good again. Um, but I just want to tell you right now that, that He can redeem and restore everything. It's what He does. It's who He is. And like David said, he said, look, I I would have dismayed had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not that one day when I die, I'd see his goodness. That's awesome. We'll spend eternity in his goodness. But he said, I would have dismayed. Why? Because when he looked around him, everything around him looked like there was no way it would ever be good again. He's being chased by a king who is possessed and wants to kill him. He's being hunted by people who want the reward that comes with finding him. Everywhere he turns, he has to run and hide. He has no safe place that he can go. He has to go and live with the enemy, the Philistines, the enemies of God, the enemies of the very one he loves, the one who anointed him king. He has to go and live with them in their camp. And yet he looks around, and in the midst of all of that, he says, you know, I would have dismayed. Had I not believed this one thing, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, I want to just tell you that this morning, that, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That there's nothing that's too broken, there's nothing that's too far gone, there's nothing that's destroyed that can't be restored by Him because it's what He does. He makes all things new. And I promise you the day's coming where you look and you, that becomes a story where you look at everybody and you say, come and see what God has done. There's people in your lives that are watching right now that when He turns these things around, you're going to be able to look at them and say, I want to tell you the reason. It's not because of me. It's not because of how good I am. It's not because of, of, of the things that I've done. It's because of what God has done. And He's going to turn everything that right now looks so bad to a story for Him. And it will be a testimony of His faithfulness and His goodness. But there's something on your end. Just you have to believe that He really will do that. He told Martha that. And God had this Scripture in my spirit during worship. I kept chewing on it. He said, <clears throat> He told Martha when she came out and said, Lord, if You would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that you are able and that whatever, at your, at your word, whatever you say, that the Father will do. And she said, and he looked at her and he said, Martha, let me tell you something. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. He didn't say, Martha, you will see the glory of God. He said, Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of the Lord today. And then when he raises her from the, from the day, he says, didn't I tell you? And I just want to declare that to you, that if you believe, what does that mean? It means... I life according to what I'm seeing. I live my life according to what He's saying. And so I put more faith in what He said than what I see. Because we fix our eyes not what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes on the unseen and eternal promises of God, and we believe that we will see His goodness in the land of the living. And that this will be turned around and it will be worked for good because He uses all things, works all things for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Stay in love. With him, and even I feel like maybe with the people who are part of this situation that you feel like is bad, don't let what was done to you to cause you to respond in anything less than love towards them. Stay in love. Keep walking called according to his purpose, and there's a promise that he will work it all for your good. Yeah.
I promise you. I just want to pray for you guys. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word. I thank you they are so true, God. They're more real than anything we've seen. And I just ask right now that you would give a peace and a strength right now in Jesus' name. Right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring peace. That you would bring a peace that not, doesn't come from understanding and having everything figured out, but it's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that comes from trusting you even when we don't understand and don't see how. Believing you will. Believing you are. And believing you will be. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for, for coming this morning. I, I feel like that was just for you guys. They had that word rolling around. So just take that. And when you get alone with Him and when the attack comes and when the enemy comes and says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, just remember what God said. Just remember what He promised. Don't let anything steal that or shake you from that place, okay? See, because what we believe matters. Theology is important. You know, I love that that we live in a in a time where we are coming to an understanding of just the reality of God and that we experience God and and all that stuff. But but honestly, what we believe, our theology, is really really important because Jesus said, "Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Not the truth will set you free. There's something that's required for the truth to set you free. It's that you know it. It's that you actually believe it. Because the truth that you don't know and believe is just a truth. It's out there. But it does you no good unless you actually know it and believe it. It's like when the, when the slaves were set free by the Emancipation Proclamation. The slaves that didn't know they were set free continued to live as slaves even though they were free men. Why? Because the truth didn't set them free. Knowing the truth set them free. Believing the truth set them free. They were as free as they would ever be the day that the Emancipation Proclamation was made. But until they actually knew and believed that that meant they were free, they didn't live in any more, any more freedom than they did the day before. So you have to know that and believe that. And, um, you know that the very first thing we're told to put on when it talks about the armor of God, is he says, in, now gird up your loins with truth. Cover yourself with truth. What was the first time that anyone's loins were ever girded that we know of? I hate that word, girded. <laughs> I do, so we're just going to say covered. <laughs> Relax, don't get offended for God. He never said girded either. In the Hebrew, it's a total different word. It doesn't sound like the English word girded. <laughs> when was the first time that we ever heard about someone's reproductive parts were covered with truth? No, but it's important, and I said reproductive parts and not loins, because there's a reason. Because that's what a, a loincloth does. It covers your reproductive organs on the male and on the female. And God wanted us to cover our reproductive organs with truth so that when we reproduce, what we produce is truth. Because otherwise, we, repro- we cover what our reproductive organs, we cover what we reproduce is, ma- is something made with our own minds, with our own hands, with our own invention. And that's what we reproduce in other people. Think about it. Adam and Eve's sin. It's the, 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 you can find the answer to almost everything in Genesis 3. 
You can find the promise to everything, but you can find the answer. You can find a template. You can find a pattern. You can see what God is like. You can see who He is in reading just the first three chapters of Genesis. He's a creator. He loves. Because of love, He reproduces. And so man sins and, and, and God doesn't change. You know, we've talked about that. The, the sin didn't change God. He, he wasn't in heaven and, and saw Eve take a bite of the fruit and run the other way in dismay. What did He do? The same thing He always did. He came walking in the cool of the day, calling out, Adam, where are you? You know, I believe the most terrifying sound to the enemy is God walking towards sin saying, where are you? I do. I believe, that it's, I believe it's why the enemy was so furious and so irate and so terrified when Jesus came because once again, man, God had come and was walking towards sin. And He wasn't running away from it. And He wasn't afraid of it. And He wasn't ashamed. And He was angry at the sin, but He was full of love for those who had sinned. And so, God comes to Adam and Eve and He comes walking towards them. Something's wrong. Something's changed. And it wasn't God who changed, but what people believed, what man believed of God had changed. And rather than coming to Him like always, man decides to hide. We, we shake our fingers at Adam and Eve a lot of times and think, how silly to hide from the One who spoke you and created you and breathed you into existence. But I know at least one person in this room who's tried to hide after he sinned. I also know a few people that have tried to cover their sin with something that they made with their own hands might not have looked like a fig leaf, but it might as well have been. So he's walking and he realizes they're not coming. And he says, Adam, where are you? Obviously, that's not for God's sake. He was never confused about where we were. He's never been confused about where you are. He's never lost sight of you. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've tried to hide, no matter how much you've, you feel like you've missed it, you've done, oh yeah, you know what? You've, you've blown it a million times. He's never, ever, ever lost sight of you and has to ask you where you are. He's asking for Adam's sake to show him, Adam, why aren't you here? Something's wrong. Where are you? So here come Adam and Eve trotting out in their fig leaves. I heard you and I was ashamed because I was naked. What is that? I heard it during worship too. I did. Well, then read it. Is it really? Oh. That's something really awesome. We could read it. Um, but he says, I, I, I was hiding. I, I heard you coming. I was ashamed. I was afraid. And so, so I was hiding. 
And God says, of course, who told you you were naked? So sin comes, and Adam and Eve are suddenly aware of themselves, right? We've talked about that a lot. Self-awareness comes through sin, self-consciousness. You weren't made to be conscious of yourself. You were made to be conscious of Him. Sin enters the picture, and suddenly, for the first time ever, man is aware of himself. He's self-conscious, so he covers himself. Adam probably hastily threw two leaves together and called it good enough. Eve probably took her time and wove them, (laughs) made hers pretty, maybe decorated them with shells or something, (laughs) right? And out they come. But here's the thing, and I think this is why God was asking them where they were and getting them to, to to, to think about. You know, when God asks you a question, it's so that you can think about something. It's not because he's in heaven desperately hoping you get the answer right for his sake. He's not wondering. He wants you to think about what he's asking you because the the question is to provoke the answer within you because the answer within you is the thing he wants you to realize. So don't like, you know, oh wow, God thinks so highly of my intellect that he asks me questions. Thank goodness for his sake that I'm here to help him solve the mysteries of the world. That's, That's not what it is. When he's asking you a question, it's because the answer is something that's going to provoke you. So he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm ashamed, I'm afraid, and I'm hiding. Yet, he was covered with a fig leaf. What was God pointing out in that very first interaction after sin? He was letting Adam and Eve know and He was letting all of us know. There's nothing that you can do with your own works that will ever cover the sin that you've committed in a way that will make you comfortable and confident to come before me. Even if you cover it with a fig leaf of your own, you'll always feel ashamed, you'll always feel afraid, and you'll always try to hide. Fig leaves are useless. What's the next thing he does? So now the problem's been diagnosed. There's been sin. What does sin cause? Sin has caused self-conscious and it's caused an unhealthy view of God. It's caused a fear that causes them to run from Him rather than run to Him. So He looks at the problem and because He's a Redeemer and a Restorer like we were just talking about, He does what God does. He says, here's the problem. They're not confident to come before Me because they don't understand that I want them before Me and because they know that what they've done isn't enough to cover them. It's not good enough. They have no confidence in themselves. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to create a covering. I'm going to kill an animal and make something out of skin. I'm going to, with my hands, create a covering for their sin that will allow them to understand that they're coming into My presence not because they're covered in what they did, but because they're covered by what I did. And this is just a pattern for us of, the, the, of what is to come in the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. See, the Old Covenant would never allow people to come confidently before God. There was only one or two people who ever in the Old Covenant felt confident. Why? They understood who He was. They saw Him for who He was. And so, because of that, God says, okay, they're hiding. They've got these fig leaves and they, they made a covering for themselves, but it's not enough for them to come into My presence, so I'm going to create something so that they understand that the covering that covers their sin was made by My hands. And that will give them a confidence because if I made it for them, then obviously it's good enough and it's acceptable in My sight. And so He makes this covering with animal skins. And I don't know if He just covered up the fig leaves with the animal skin. 
I'm guessing he took the fig leaves off and replaced them with the animal skin. Because that's what Jesus did when he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What did he say? He said, the old covenant wasn't enough for you to come before my Father the way he wanted you to. You didn't have confidence before him. And he can't stand that because he's always wanted to be with you. And so he's going to make a covenant with you by his creation and by his hand and something will die that you understand is good enough and worthy enough so that you're never again hiding behind a fig leaf afraid to come into my presence. This is the new covenant. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to have my body broken and beaten. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to actually become sin so that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to act sinful so you can act righteous. I'm going to become sin so that you can become righteous. So, he makes a covering and he talks to him and says, guys, because you've done this, here's some things that are going to happen. There's consequence. But there's also a solution. Because this is what he wanted, and this is what he wants for all of us. And I promise I'm getting to how this applies to us in a minute. But, but he, what he didn't want was for them to pass down a legacy to their children that says, we broke it, but we fixed it. He didn't want them to pass down a legacy to their children that said, we messed it up, but we also made it right by the works of our hands. We went and built something that was good enough to cover our sin. And yeah, it doesn't allow us to come into His presence without shame and guilt, but that's just the price of sin and that's just the cross that we have to bear. Bear. But here's some fig leaves, and when you mess up, you can cover yourself with these and they won't give you a confidence to come before Him, but at least you won't be naked in front of each other. See, that's the problem with anything that's not Jesus Christ, is it may look and sound good in front of each other, in front of other men, but it never will give us the confidence to come before Him because we know it's not made by His hands and we know it's not good enough to stand in His presence. Religion will make us really, really happy with each other. Legalism will cause us to look at each other. And you ever notice that? If you are in a culture of legalism, and this isn't to bash in, this is saying, listen, sometimes we just do what we were taught and it's the best that the people that taught us knew. But we also have to be okay to say there's something better. See, legalism, everybody looks good to each other. Why? Nobody wants to admit there's anything wrong. So what do we do? We put on fig leaves. We put on fake smiles. We act perfect. We talk perfect. We sound perfect in front of each other. And inside, we're dying. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you guys, on the outside, you look so great. What was he saying? Nobody can see what's going on inside of you. You won't let anybody in, but I can see what's going on inside of you. And I know that inside of you, you're empty. You're nothing but whitewashed tombs. What's he saying? Take your fig leaves off. Take off that covering that looks good to you that was made by your hands and let me cover you. Why? Because then the world may see that, you know, something had to be covered. When everybody saw, whenever someone saw Adam and Eve from that point on, they would understand God had to cover sin. They would see them with an animal skin and they would understand something had to die to cover their sin. They weren't perfect. perfect. 
it's okay for us to let people see that someone had to die to cover our sin and that we weren't perfect. It's okay. Don't put on a fig leaf and a fake smile. Because it may look good in front of people, but it will never allow you to come boldly before His throne with confidence. So open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12. What's that? Oh yeah, Romans. Romans chapter 12. This, this, this uh, passage gets preached a lot. And, it, and a lot of times it gets, you know, the, the focus of it is do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, then you'll be able to test and prove. And that's an awesome part of it. But I, I think, honestly, the, the first verse is probably one of the most amazing things ever written. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we have a written record of who You are. God, that we can open our Bible and we can see what happened when man sinned. And we can see Your response to sin. And we can see the way that You handled it, God. And we can believe that, that who You were for Adam and Eve, that You are for us. And so I just thank You that as we read and we, we listen to Your Word today, that You would speak to us. Holy Spirit, that our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive this truth. That it would go forth into our hearts, God. That the seed of Your Word would go into the soil of our hearts and it would produce fruit that a world that doesn't know You would taste and see that You're good by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Paul's writing to the Romans and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, that therefore is alluding to the, to the chapter 11 where he talks about the, the Jesus actually coming and saving people. And he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is he saying? In view of God's mercy. What's he talking about? In view of what God's done. In view of the fact that God had mercy on us and that while we were yet in sin, He sent His Son to die upon a cross. Not because of our works and not because of our good deeds, but because of who He was. So in view of that, because all that's found in Romans. This is coming towards the end of his letter here. And so now he's expounding on things that he's wrote to them. He says, now in view of all this, in view of God's great mercy, I urge you, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's one problem. How many of us honestly believe that we're holy? How many of us honestly believe that, that we're holy? That we're acceptable. Because if you don't believe that you're holy and acceptable, how can you present yourself to God as such? How many of us honestly believe that? Like, it took me a long time to realize this. I'm actually holy. And you can read the verses that say that. 
You know, you can read the verse to say, you know, that you're the temple of God and the temple is holy and that is what you are. You can read those verses, but there's a whole different thing in truth and truth that I know. Truth is out there. Wisdom's out there. Remember we were talking about a few weeks ago. It's crying in the streets. But who will listen to her voice? How many of us honestly believe that we're holy and acceptable in His sight? And I bet you probably have no problem running to His throne room in your time of need. But see, here's the thing. If we don't believe that, then when God says, where are you? We run and we want to hide. Why? Because we think that we're not holy and we're not acceptable. And so we have to run and hide until we do something that gives us the courage to come out and stand before Him in His presence. I have to go be good for a while. I have to go not do that thing that I'm ashamed of doing for a while before I can come into His presence and feel like I'm holy and acceptable. Because surely, right now, I'm not that. How many of you guys have not even felt the the ability to pray for something for people because you're so aware of things that you've done wrong that you think there's no chance that that prayer is even going to be heard and you don't even want to be vulnerable enough to go before Him and request something in prayer? How many of you have had that happen before in your life? Yeah. Why? Because we don't understand that we're holy and acceptable not because of what we've done but because of what He did for us and because of who we've become now that we're in Christ. And we have to actually believe the Gospel, which is the good news, that everything passed and all things have become new. Me and Blake were talking about that this morning. He said, I got, I got a new job. And the way he said it, I was like, well, is that a good thing? He's like, yeah. But it's weird because I didn't do anything to get it. It just kind of fell in my lap. <laughs> but what he said makes so much sense. He said, I almost am like, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. I didn't like work hard for this and beg for this. And, and see, because if we're not careful, we'll feel like the only things that we deserve are the things that we've worked for, the things that we've begged for, the things that we've earned by our good behavior. Or we'll become the older brother in the story of the prodigal and only believe that only people who are like us deserve because, of, because they haven't worked. They haven't earned. And sometimes younger brothers become older brothers. You know? You're the prodigal, and you get born again. You come to the Father, and now that you're born again, you have a seat at the table. After a while, sitting at the table and understanding who you are, you know, you had this idea I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me work as one of your hired servants. Notice, I've screwed up too badly to just come to your house. Let me work and earn my way back. And then you do that for a while, and all of a sudden you end up over in, the t- over in the spot of the oldest son after a while, where you're looking and you're going, why does he get to sit at the table? He spent all your money on prostitutes. He took what you gave him and wasted it. Don't you know what he's done? And look at everything I've done, and how come I'm not? And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll start to view everything through that lens. Instead of saying at the table and saying, I don't deserve to be here, but you say that I do, so I'm going to sit here and enjoy it. Because now that I've become born again, you said I'm worthy, so I'm going to believe that I'm worthy because I believe what you say more than what I've seen. 
Because if I was to go by what I've seen, my life, I'm not worthy to sit at your table. But I'll go by what you say versus what I've seen. And so by faith, I believe I'm worthy to sit here at your table. But if I ever lose sight of the fact that it wasn't by my good works that got me there, I'll start to become the older brother and I'll start to look at people who didn't do the things that I did and wonder why they get to sit at the table the way that I do. And I'll even resent them for it. And it might even keep me from going into the house. The father had to go to both sons. I'm trying, Debbie. The, the father had, wait, listen, the father had to go to two sons in the story. Two sons, not just the one. See, we, we all know that he ran to the prodigal. But in grief, he went to the oldest son. Why? Because the oldest son heard a party going on in the father's house. He heard music and dancing. Just a side note, if you think music and dancing is wrong in the father's house, you may have problems when you get there. Jesus told the story, the Father is, is God the Father, the sons are us, and when one came home, what did they do? They partied, there was music and dancing, and it was so loud that the son that was out in the field could hear it, and that was before they had electronics. <laughs> so he hears this is going on, and so it says he sends someone to inquire. Why doesn't he just go in? If something's going on in my mom and dad's house, I know I belong there. I'll walk in myself and find out what's going on. And if I think it's a party, all I think is, holy smokes, there's a party going on? I must have forgot me. I'm not thinking I don't want to go in there. I'm thinking somebody forgot to tell me. I'm going to give someone the word when I get in there because obviously I was invited. But he doesn't. Why? There's probably already a little bit of offense built up in his heart towards the father. Because he's kind of keeping a list. He's kind of keeping a list and we find out and we know for sure that he was. Because he sends a servant. The servant comes back and he says, "Uh, they're actually throwing a party in there because your brothers come home. It says, then he became angry. He's okay with them having a party as long as it's not for someone that doesn't deserve it or someone that deserves it less than him. I'm okay with God blessing you as long as you haven't done less than me to deserve the blessing. I'm okay with you having a spiritual gifting that's awesome and that, that, that is on display for the world to see as long as I feel like you've done what I've done to deserve and earn it. See, because he's fine with there being a party. But when he finds out the reason, then he becomes angry. He says, then he became angry. So what happens? For the second time that day, the father realizes, one of my sons isn't here, and he should be. I've got to go get him. See, we all know that he ran to the prodigal, but how many of you guys really understand? And how many times when we read that story do we understand the story is actually about the older brother? Because Jesus was telling the story to the Pharisees who thought that it was not good for him to hang out with people they considered to be less than them. So he tells them this story. He wasn't even talking about prodigals. The prodigal was to, to, to bring them into the story and explain to them their own heart. 
And we make the story about the prodigal because so many of us identify with the prodigal because it's kind of cool to have a prodigal story. It is. It's kind of cool to have a story of how you went and just wasted your life and, and did all these crazy things and you got these close to death stories and people love hearing about it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I have a story like that. But I am saying this, that that wasn't the point of the story. But a lot of us have no problem identifying with the prodigal because it's not so cool to identify with the older brother. Why? Because he stayed out in the field. And when I think the whole point of the story and the reason why it doesn't say, you realize the father went to him and he said, he said, my son, what are you doing? Come on. He says, that son of yours. He's already lost sight of who he is. He doesn't even say my brother. Notice the servant said your brother. He looks at the father and says, your son. What was he doing? The same thing Moses did. Your people. They're not mine. He's disassociating with them. Why? He's already lost sight of who He is. When we lose sight of who people are, we won't be excited and we won't want to celebrate with them when God blesses them unless it's something we feel like they deserve. When we do that, it's really proving that we've lost sight of the Father. So He says, basically, why aren't you in there? He says, all these years I've served you. I've done this. I've done that. Sound like anybody. I've been there. I've built a case against people knowing I was building a case against them and got mad when they actually noticed what I was doing and thanked me for it because they didn't want them to thank me because I wanted to build up a case against them. I know, it's me and the people on the podcast, none of you would ever do that. But I found myself at times like being so offended at somebody for not appreciating things that I was doing things and keeping track of them and the only reason I was doing them was just to prove that they really didn't appreciate who I was and what I was doing. And then when they actually noticed and said thank you, it just ruined my case. (laughs) But the brother says, I've been with you. I've done this and I've done that. And you haven't even given me a young goat. What's he saying? He gets the best. The fatted calf. You haven't even given me a young stringy goat. And he did all this stuff wrong. And I've done all this stuff right. And what's he proving? I determine whether or not I come into your house based on, and does belong to be in your house, long to be in your presence, based on what I've done. And not only do I do that for me, but because that's the way I do for me, that's the way that I do for other people. So I judge whether people deserve or are worthy to come into your presence based on what I've seen them do, because that's how I determine my own worthiness to be there. Keeping a list. Maybe he's even checking it twice. And he knows who's been naughty and who's been nice. I'm looking around to see if there's any little kids in here. I don't want to ruin something. <laughs> I'll just say this. Be real careful if you get your kids to believe that there's an old guy in the sky that sees everything, capes the list, and gives you what you deserve based on what you've done. Because when someone comes along and tells them that's what God is like, it might be easy for them to receive it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you notice what the father does for the prodigal? What's the, f- what's the first thing he does? 
He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get, make me as one of your hired servants out of his mouth. The father says, oh my gosh, he's forgot who he is. He's lost sight of who he is. I have to fix that. He says, he, 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 he cuts him off and it says, he says to the servants, quickly bring a robe. What's he saying? Quickly, I've got to make a covering over him so that he understands he belongs in my house because right now he thinks he needs to come back and work. And I have no intention of him working. He needs to remember who he is quickly. Let's put the robe around him. What does the Father do, want to do for you when you do something and you feel like you've done too much to belong in his presence and to come back into his sight and you have this idea in your heart that you're going to work your way back? He looks down and he says the same thing about you. Oh my goodness, he's forgot who he is. He thinks he can earn his way back into my, into my good graces. He doesn't understand he's never left them. And it's not because of what he's done. It's because of who he is. Quickly, bring the robe. Quickly, let's remind him of who he is. Quickly, let's cover him. Because the thing that will keep us from coming into his presence boldly, like the Scripture promises and says that we can, is not believing that we're worthy to come in. Because we don't believe that offering ourselves to him is a holy and acceptable sacrifice in his sight. Holy and acceptable. And it doesn't say, therefore I urge you, brethren, offer your spirits. See, we have no problem believing, well, the Spirit of God that's in me, that's clean. That's holy. That's acceptable. We have no problem with that. So Paul purposely doesn't say, the Spirit of God purposely has Paul not right. Present your spirits before God a living and holy sacrifice. He says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies. What is he saying? He's saying, I didn't just make your spirit clean. I made you clean. Every part of you is holy and acceptable in my sight. You can come into my presence anytime in your time of need boldly because you understand that I've made you clean. And there's nothing about you that's unacceptable to me because of who you are in Christ. What's he want? He wants kids that don't send people to find out what's going in their fa- on in their father's house when there's a party going on. He wants kids that run in there and understand if there's something happening in my dad's house, it belongs to me too. And I deserve to be here because I'm his son because he loves me. That's what he wants. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about him saying, you guys have made fig leaves. Look, I gave you 10 commandments to live by. You guys turned it into over 600. Why? Because we're so good at fig leaves. We see something like we can make a covering out of that. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. Remember it. Keep it holy. What was he saying? Take some time and rest. That's all he was saying. Rest. Keep it holy. Keep it set apart to rest the way that I rest. That's all he wanted you to do was to not toil. And they say, well, then that means you can't spit in the mud because if you spit in the mud and somebody's walking, when their foot tramples it, it turns it into mud, which makes a brick, and that's too much like work. So therefore, now here's another fig leaf. Don't spit on Sunday. There was all, they they took ten simple commandments. Ten. Turn them into hundreds. Why? Because 
all we will do if we believe it's about following rules is find more rules to follow so that we can say, well, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. And the more didn'ts we have on this side than dids on that side, the more we feel we're worthy to go into his presence. And God said, listen, Jesus, go. And Jesus comes and he says, listen, you guys, take your fig leaves, make a pile, and burn them. I got two things for you to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. What is he saying? In order to love somebody, we have to understand that we've been loved. Why? Well, this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. So what's he saying? Believe that God loves you and receive the love of God in your heart so that you can actually respond with the love of God towards him. That's the first. And the second one is like it. Why? Because once we do that, we start to love everybody else the way we love ourselves. Why? Because we don't see ourselves for what we've done wrong. We see ourselves for what Jesus did right. And when we see ourselves that way, we're more likely to see others that way. And the grace that we've received will be more likely to extend. And we won't be like the older brother standing outside with a list of reasons why the younger brother doesn't belong in the house and why we do and miss out on what's going on in the Father's house. you realize there's only one person in that story that missed out on what God wanted? One. And it wasn't the one who went and spent the money on prostitutes. It wasn't the one who spent his money getting drunk and partying with his friends. Yeah, I'm going to close up with this. It was the one who, who didn't do any of that stuff was the one who thought the Father loves me because of the things that I do good and never understood the Father loves you because you're His Son. Because what's the Father's response to Him? He says, oh, Son. We had to celebrate. For this brother of yours, He's constantly reminding Him, don't forget, He's your brother. If you remember He's your brother, you won't see Him the way you see Him. And what does he say? He says, my son, you've always been with me. What's he saying? You're my son. Why? Because you've lost sight of who I am. And because you've lost sight of me, now you've lost sight of all your brothers. Because you see me as someone to serve in order to get something from rather than someone to be loved by and receive from freely. And because you see me that way, you expect everybody else to see me that way and you expect me to see them that way. It's why the servants got mad when, when, the, when the master paid the ones who worked for an hour the same as the ones who worked for 12 hours. Why? Because we always want to do that. We always want to qualify what people deserve to, to receive from Him based on what they've done because we feel like we qualify to receive based on what we've done. It's a fig leaf. And it may look good and sound good in front of people, but it will never allow us to come boldly into His presence and it will never allow us to receive what He has for us. He looked at them and said, wait a minute. Didn't you guys agree to work for this? Yeah. In other words, you were happy to work for the amount that I offered you. What business is it of yours if I choose to pay the people who only work for an hour the same as I choose to pay you who work for 12? In other words, my goodness is for everybody. And if you love receiving my goodness, you should be happy when others do too. In fact, if you understand that you received because of my goodness, not based on what you've done, you might even be excited that people who came out and only worked for an hour got paid the same as you did because you understand they didn't receive at your expense. 
But if you've got a work and earn and fig leaf mentality, you'll see everybody else receiving at your expense and you'll think, well, you haven't even given me X. Why would you ever give them Z? When you understand that you're holy and acceptable in His sight, not because of what you've done, not because of your goodness, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you'll boldly enter into His presence. Boldly. What does that look like? Like, People say, you know, boldly enter into His presence. What does it look like? It means I can actually live my life aware of the fact that He's my Father and that I'm with Him and He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. In fact, it's a good way to live your life. If I can't do what I'm doing with an awareness of Him with me and me with Him, I probably shouldn't do it. It's just a constant awareness. It's going into His presence. It's entering before Him and knowing when I come to You, Father, Your doors are open and I actually can enter in and I can speak with You. Because You said Your sheep hear Your voice and know Your voice and the voice of a stranger won't follow. It means You must be speaking. And so he said, if, 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 therefore, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? It's earning. It's works. The system of this world is set up. How many of you guys have heard it? Nothing's free. If something's too good to be true, it is true. It isn't true. If you want something, you've got to earn it. It's the system of this world. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, present yourselves holy and acceptable to the Father. What is he saying? He's saying, come into His presence and understand that He's made you holy and that you're acceptable to Him and offer your life to Him. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't only go to Him when you feel like you've done enough to deserve the right to be in His presence. Don't be the younger son. Don't try to work your way back. Don't feel like I had seven days of being bad. I got to have 14 of being good before I can even think about praying. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means let the gospel be the thing that changes the way that you think. Let that renew your mind. Don't try to work and earn it. Receive the free gift of, gift of grace and let that change the way that you think. Why? Because once that changes the way you think about you, it'll change the way you think about others. And you'll never end up being the older brother standing outside while the party's going on inside, missing out on what the Father has for you because you're so upset about who's there. God, you know I've prayed for this for so long and I've been so faithful and I've done and I've done this and I've done that. And you know that that person over there, I saw them. And I know that they, and I heard that, and we have this case built up sometimes in our minds and we look at somebody and we say, how could they get or receive or do or have or any of those things that we do when they, and we list all these things wrong, and all we're saying is, I've earned everything that I have, they should earn everything that they have. And all it proves is that we've been conformed to the pattern of this world which says everything that you want in life you've got to work for and nothing is free. And anything that sounds too good to be true is too good to be true. Let the Gospel renew your mind. Then look what he says. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why? 
Because once you understand that everything you have is a free gift from the Father, you'll look around at other people and all you'll want for them is His good and perfect will for their lives, for them to receive the same thing that you received. And you'll have no interest in discluding people because they haven't earned it like you did. That's the Gospel. That's the free gift. Understanding that is what allows us these Scriptures to be true. He says in, in Ephesians 8, or 3, I'm sorry, in 8, he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Both of those things require something of us, and that's that we believe that we're worthy to enter into His presence, and that by faith we come before Him and believe that we will receive mercy in our time of need. And the only way you'll do that is if you actually believe that He's made you holy and acceptable in the sight of God. Then the fig leaf gets ripped off and the covering of Jesus comes and you never again hide in shame. You never again hide in fear. And you never again have this crazy idea that you've got to do something to earn your way back into His good grace. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, that during this time as we celebrate Christmas during this week, God, that we would be so aware that You stepped into our brokenness. That the, the most terrifying sound to the enemy of, of God walking towards sinful men, not with anger and not with vengeance in mind, but with a plan to redeem and restore. That that's what Christmas is all about. That it's the return of the King. That once again, God walks among sinful men with a plan to restore and redeem everything. God, I thank You that, that we would see that through Jesus, through accepting what He did on the cross, His shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and by making Him the Lord and Savior of our lives, that we've become holy and acceptable in Your sight. That we can come before You and not just be tolerated, not just have a legal right, but that we're wanted and welcomed into Your presence, God. That we would see ourselves the way You see us, God. And that that would overflow into the way we see others. And we would believe that the sacrifice of Jesus, that what He did, not only made us holy and acceptable in Your sight, but it made all of His brothers and sisters holy and acceptable in Your sight. And that every one of us deserves a seat at Your table. I pray, God, that none of us would miss out on what's going on in Your house. Because we're offended in our hearts. Because of who's there. 
that none of us would miss out on all the things that You have. God, that You wouldn't have to come find any of us on the road or in the field, God. That we would just stay and dwell in the house of the Lord forever, like David said. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.